Well, hey there, Major League Rugby fans. Welcome to another great episode of the MLR Rant Podcast Show. My name is Ty Braga, your host for today's activities alongside Rob Hammerschmidt, Scott Ferrara, and for the first time, Doug Wilkie of the Toronto Arrows, Arrows Up fan group. Excellent job. Gentlemen, we are back here to be able to discuss what we love, Major League Rugby. Now, to be able to remind our viewers on how it works, Let's give them a chance to be able to recognize that these guys here are in our rugby debate and they're going to be talking about the hot topics that we've derived from you. As the fan, you told us what you wanted us to talk about and today it is grassroots rugby. How do we explore new opportunities to grow it? What is the importance it has to feed the MLR and then the MLR itself? What can they do to improve what they do? And finally, we're going to round up this rant here by asking more about USA Rugby and Canada Men's 15s. What can they do to better their current results? So, gentlemen, you now know what we're here to talk about. But for our fans, these guys each have two minutes to open up the rant. And if they go past that two minutes, they will be given a yellow card by me, as the referee, and they'll be out for the next round. To start it off, we give the honors to be able to hand it over to Doug. Doug, first of all, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here, and let us know what you think. Thanks, guys. It's an honor to be here. Uh, yeah, as far as grass, grassroots are concerned, um, having the MLR is is awesome. I just Saturdays, you know, sitting with my dad on the couch watching Hockey Night in Canada. Um, that's what really got me started into playing hockey. And uh, now I can sit on the couch with my son on a Saturday or a Sunday and uh, I, we can watch the, the Arrows play or we can watch the MLR. So just for that fact alone, my son is, he's pumped. He loves rugby. He's ready to go. I coach his under seven team um, here in Barrie. And, uh, you know, we can do things like our, our under 17 was the, the game got canceled, but we were supposed to go to the arrows match and play at a halftime game. And, and just having those game, the kids in our own backyard, go to a game and see those players live and smell what it's like in the stadium and, and see all of that stuff that, that is, that is going to do huge things for our sport. I feel um, to get more kids to, to play. Um, the next step up, high school. I coach high school. I, I also help out with the football team, basically just to recruit rugby guys. But uh, just every year at a football game, there's three or four uh, university scouts, and uh, they're they they come and they're they're filling the kids' heads with with all this stuff about playing football at the next level. Um, and so by the time rugby even starts, it's it's like those kids are done. They're like, no, I can't get injured. My parents don't want me to get injured. I'm playing football. So, you know, now that there's, they've created this pathway, especially for the draft, which the arrows aren't really a part of right now, but in the future, possibly. Um, but there's this pathway. Now a kid sees, okay, I can go to university and play. And now I can possibly go and play for the arrows or play in the MLR. And uh, that's a much clearer pathway. Right. I completely understand where you're coming from that. Well, your first point is the rugby experience, you know, rugby has a very unique atmosphere. Uh, the culture that surrounds it is so inviting for somebody new, especially as a young child. As you say, they get a part of that culture. They learn to love it. They share it with mom and dad. Perhaps they're watching a game from their older brother at a high school level. So, yeah, it does tend to be a game that grows with the generation. 
And uh, so great points there as well. And then at scouting level, yeah, you got to be able to give the kids an opportunity to grow, to play and be seen and be scouted. Great points there. Uh, from the opening rant from Doug Wilkie, we're going to hand it over, uh, pop pass over to your shoulder to Rob Hammerschmidt. Rob, what do you got for us? Um, so a couple of things that, that come from my end, and I'm going to pick up right where Doug uh, left off. Uh, you got to grow youth rugby. And I, I want to hit a couple points there. Uh, and also, I think there's ways to work with the local clubs in order to really bring them into the fold and grow uh, rugby at the at the men's club level. And so it's interesting, uh, being an Ola fan, I actually just recently had two conversations, one with Tim Falcon, the owner, uh, today and, and several weeks back, Nate Osborne. A couple of things resonated for me that fit into this conversation. Number one, uh, NOLA's actually started a NOLA Gold Youth Rugby League. So they're picking up the mantelpiece and really starting to um, uh, focus on youth rugby as a source for future fans, for future players. Um, they also recently started a new initiative. And this was interesting. It's called Rugby 101 Zoom. And so last week uh, they had a series each day uh, a little mini series on on basics of rugby for those people who don't know or have never played a lot of rugby. And it just gives them a foundation to understand. And there was an interaction Zoom call in which they could talk to coaches. Now, what's interesting is my conversation with uh, Tim is he challenged uh, their youth programs, challenged their, their uh, you know, uh, um, promotions department to have contact with this program with 4,000 new fans by season start. Those are the kind of initiatives that we need. In addition, players are starting to coach. Nick Feeks, Louisiana Rugby Youth Coordinator, we had him in at the beginning of our rant. Um, and then Tim Malpin is uh, the Tulane University Rugby Head Coach. So they're really doing some things down there in NOLA, as are other teams, to really peck away at the grassroots level. And then finally, the Markel Cup. Organizing some You're social coming up sides. In a few minutes, just to let you know, uh, I'm almost there. Organizing social sides, bringing clubs together to play and participate together uh, right. for a local championship. Fantastic points there, Rob. I mean, I want to try and break down a few. So the first thing you'd spoken about is building a structure, right? Creating a league. So rugby administration needs to be key. I mean, you need to be able to create a platform for these kids to be able to get involved and you need great administration management that's back in that. Luckily enough, in this case, is coming from the experience at NOLA. So great, excellent way to be able to do it, right? Not every uh, region is going to have the same ability, but they can reach out to their local clubs. They can reach out to the schools. Definitely great point there. Uh, and then investing in the coaches. Another great thing, education. So solid points there. I think Rob takes a, a bonus point on that round. We're going to hand it over to uh, to Scott to see what he's got to share. Uh, to build on Rob's point, I think that it's imperative that the MLR take up the torch for grassroots rugby. We can't trust it to USA Rugby. We can barely trust the 15s men's team and the 17s team to USA Rugby. So you're telling me, They've, they've been uh, absent at the helm of grassroots rugby forever. Now you have the 13 teams in the MLR who can actually do it, who can actually go out there. Uh, like in Rooney, you had um, Alex McDonald, who was one of their starting locks. He was a director of community relations. He was taking different players to public schools and just tossing a ball around with fourth and fifth graders who've never seen a rugby ball, never, never heard of rugby, just to say, hey, Go outside of, of, of what you're comfortable with and throw this ball that you've never seen in gym class. 
And then it actually goes beyond beyond that. You have guys like Chris Matina who started his own rugby academy, the Chris Matina Rugby Academy, to specifically help high school players get the skills they need to go into college knowing how to play already. So Chris, Chris Matina is lucky enough to have played high school rugby, to have then played college rugby, has been an eagle for the sevens, and then obviously is, is playing for Rooney and has coached a little bit. And I think he brings a unique experience. You have to think about this. A lot of guys going to play rugby at the higher levels, sometimes they don't have a quote-unquote American coach. Kind of like we have – uh, two minutes, by the way. Kind of like we have a South African host. And sometimes Ty doesn't know the – no, it's the truth. It's the truth. Sometimes Ty sees it differently than me and Rob would see something. Well, Chris Matina can show a kid who's grew up in New York, who's lived in America. This is the what I found in my experience here trying to navigate those different pathways. And that's literally – he's planting the seed at that level to say this is what you can do and go beyond. So right. I think – it's it's not just on the MLR itself. I think it's on the individual players who want to say, I want to do more than just be a professional rugby player. Right. Excellent points. I mean, so much to be able to unpack there. Um, so I'll start at the end. I mean, Matina, you said, you know, great experience, great wealth of knowledge. And I think this is what I'd love to be able to see from grassroots rugby is that players like Matina who have that experience to share it with the next generation. You know, if every rugby player thought the same way is that okay i take the skills i've learned now it's my turn to be able to share it with the next generation we would already entrench that culture in the game and it is there already but it can be even greater um so ambassadors of the sport like that are the people who help drive it in their own areas in their own backyard that's what is important is get everybody involved in your communities first and it will spread from there and uh, some great points there scott even though you went over your time a little bit uh, you made it back by uh, driving home some pretty good points, so I like that. But, uh, you know, when we look at one of the important points about grassroots rugby, um, or should we say sports at that level in general, some of the obstacles that stand in the way, and we've echoed these thoughts in previous episodes between myself, Rob, and Scott, is that rugby is one of the cheapest sports to actually adopt. So there's an obstacle you can remove. You know, it's not the pads. It's not the helmets that you need to be able to fork out. The school programs wouldn't be so committed financially to this. All they would really need is their time. Uh, and then, of course, the education that comes with that, which uh, so Rob had spoken about. Uh, Scott had also spoken about in that regard. And you, of course, Doug, see that as well by being a youth rugby coach yourself. Would you guys agree with that? What options could we explore to be able to bring it into schools and to be able to create opportunities for better rugby education? In Canada, I see I see uh, rugby as a double-edged sword. It's great because there's not a lot of parents who know much about the game in the grand scheme of things. When you go to a hockey game, parents almost get in the way. And you're talking about barriers there. Parents almost get in the way at hockey games because they know everything and they know more than right. the coach, more than the ref. And and uh, whereas rugby, it's like a breath of fresh air on the sidelines. Parents sit there. They just they just love seeing their kid run around. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, I just I just hope that this sport grows more and we can just get more youth involved and just build from there. And I think I'm, I'm really hopeful and I'm that. Yeah, MLR. Right. Start small and build from there is what you're saying. Yeah. For sure. Rob, I know that you being a youth rugby coach as well, uh, you you certainly believe and preach rugby education as being important. 
How do you think that that affects the concerns of a parent about safety? Well, I think you can easily address those or at least ally those when you introduce the game as a touch game. You introduce it in PE classes in schools. You try to educate your teachers and you don't they don't need to understand the entirety of the game to do that. You just need to be able to introduce them to a couple different um, uh, structured games right. in a PE class in order for them to participate and give the kids touches on the ball. And once that becomes a, a part of the curriculum, um, th- that allies parents' fears. Then at least rugby is a known uh, commodity in the school system and and part of their, the, their kids' education. Right. I definitely agree. I mean, even if you had the kids participating in touch or flag rugby games where it is low impact and it's low contact, uh, until the parents can see that product and understand it, it'll never completely be adopted. So, yeah, great point there as well. Scott, did you have anything you wanted to add? I just want to expand because it looks like we're, we're going from the wide angle from Doug and then and then uh, Rob kind of narrowed it down a little bit. So I want to actually narrow it down even more. There's an actual correlation between touch football, American football, to kids who then play in youth football. So what I've seen as a youth football coach, we have the touch, the kids who play touch rugby starting at six years old, like 95% conversion rate to um, an, an eight and under program. And the league we play in up in up in Carmel the Connick Youth Football League has a modified program for the eight and unders. So they play football with pads and they, they, they hit each other, but there's specific parameters that are different than when they graduate to nine and unders and 10 and unders and they're playing quote unquote full rules football. So I think you can get that, that same rhythm going where you have kids playing touch then their first year, maybe they're only playing tennis side on a smaller field. You know, maybe there, maybe it's, it's, it's having only two guys allowed in a ruck. Maybe it's having a scrum where it's only the first five guys. And then you can build on that as they got older. And then the other thing is, you know, again, and and going back to what I know, American rugby, we teach the heads up tackling specifically to show parents that we're trained in it. We're not just teaching kids to launch themselves. We're teaching them to make a tackle in the safest way possible to minimize any type of damage they can have on their body. I'm sure Canada is doing the same type of thing. And you can educate the parent that it is a safer sport without showing them all the highlights of the big hits with that, that the professionals and the test matches are going to show. Right. You know, if if I could just interject, I think Scott hit on a great point. And by the way, I think this is where USA Rugby could could actually insert itself in youth rugby at a very low cost. Develop a curriculum that can be and and Canada Rugby too. Develop the curriculum that can be implemented in which the the contact areas are gradually introduced as kids matriculate up. Right. Have you seen the rookie? I agree with that. So let me just touch on that for a moment. Sorry to interrupt you there, Doug, and I'm going to give you the floor in a moment. Um, so how, you guys are, are thinking exactly how I would want it to be if I were a parent, right, and having my child potentially take up the sport. Um, and what it looks like back home in South Africa, for, from my point of view, is from seven years old, I was playing rugby. Why? Because that was the sport you played. It's a winter sport. How did we do it? Well, we played barefoot. We referred to that in South Africa for the South Africans that are watching us, Carl Foot Rugby. So it's barefoot rugby, which means that you, you minimize the risk of, of injury through boots and studs and mountaineering. Um, then we had no scrums, right? So it was a tap and go scenario at the breakdown. We also then would play in a smaller field as 
Scott had mentioned, you know, to be across the field. So we would play from the 22s. Um, so the 22 from try line to 22 across the field to the touch lines. Uh, and that would be our field. Um, we didn't have scrums. We didn't have those high contact areas. Um, we didn't tackle. We were told to tackle below the waist or at the waist at least. We weren't allowed to tackle anywhere from the torso, halfway through the torso up to avoid any injury um, potential there. So there are certainly parameters that you can put in place and you can follow. And as you so rightly pointed out, Rob, they can grow with them as they reach the higher grade levels. Doug, I know I interrupted you, so I want to hand it back to you. No, no problem. Um we have the, the rookie rugby program, and I think I've seen it on the USA website. Rugby, I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but right. and it does that. It's the curriculum. It gives you each age grade, lays out. Like, you can almost step in as a coach that doesn't have very much rugby experience um, because it's not contact, it's flag. And you could, you could have a, 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 somebody who's not even playing rugby read the curriculum. It's very straightforward. It gives you the games. It breaks it all down. And it, it, and it's great stuff. And, and I've, I've worked with it, obviously being a, uh, a rugby coach, it's, it's pretty easy for me to figure things out. I, I kind of glanced at it, but um, to have other coaches that are helping me out or whatever, it's something I can just give them that and, and they learn an immense amount. Right. So there yeah. is programs that are coming out there or that are out there, but Right. And getting access to them is important. You know, level 100 is where you begin in the U.S. and rookie rugby for for, for Canada. Um, it's easily accessible online. Uh, they do have a lot of coaching clinics, although they have been cut back because of funding in the U.S. for obvious reasons. Um, so I guess that also brings up the other point, though, is funding. You know, one of the greatest obstacles for a grassroots rugby. So, you know, this also lends into the next topic that I'd like to be able to branch into is when talking about improving the MLR, growing players and building your player pool ultimately would have to be able to benefit the MLR. So should they be investing more in grassroots rugby? So let's talk more about that and also talk about how can the MLR improve what they do. So to be able to open up the floor, I'm going to hand it in reverse order. I believe we started with uh, Doug and we ended with Scott in the last round. So let's hand it over to Scott. What are your thoughts in this area? Well, I think there's a lot of things MLR can do to to help itself. Um, first and foremost, I think right now the way they have it set up as far as foreign player slots is is a good is a good way to go. We want to build North American talent, but we also need to realize that we have these guys coming from foreign countries that have played rugby since they were seven. And at that point, iron sharpens iron because you're going to have a lot of kids from North America who either picked it up in high school or picked it up in college. And because they're such an athlete, they might not grab the technical aspects of rugby like somebody who's been playing since they were seven, but they can manage up until a point. So I think the MLR has that balance right now as far as the formation of the teams. I like that. I don't think that should change. I'm an advocate of having these guys come in. Um but again, I think the onus is on each MLR team to do something. And I know that uh, the MLR is coming and starting to push the the teams themselves to start having these academies and pathway sure. teams. And we've seen that with, you know, uh, um, uh, rugby 404, uh, ATL 404, 
Um, we, we've seen it. Bill Webb talked about it with Toronto having their two academy teams. Um, I know Rooney had an under-19 and under-23 team last year, and it wasn't necessarily official, but it, it was academy-type team nonetheless. I think everybody needs to have an academy team. I think everybody needs to have an academy team scheduled to play each other, whether it's one weekend every once a month where everybody can get together and just have a tournament style of play or if it's going to be a regular season like the MLR, um, you have to buy into the, to the fact that the guys under the squads is what's going to push you to get those players. So if, if I'm a, a high schooler now and I'm seeing that my buddy's uh, uh, my brother's buddy is playing on the Rooney under 23 team. And because of that, he's going to get a look at the professional you know level that in my, in the back of my head, now I'm going, I can achieve that. And then again, it'll trickle down to the next portion when we have these um, uh, uh, touch rugby leagues. I'm looking at the high school kids who should be involved. I'm sure Doug does this in football as well. We take the high school kids from the from the varsity team and bring them into practices when they have available time to then show the kids on the youth level what to do. And then we we have kids coming back every season to, to do this because when they were younger, the older guys were teaching them and they want to give back. So I think we have to... We, while we have instilled inclusivity and showing you know rugby to new people, I think we also have to realize we have to give back to the rugby community itself. Right. So excellent points, but yellow card. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I can see Rob's face there. He's like, yes. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. It was a new no round. Communication, no communication from the referee. You gotta know the rules. No, no warning. You gotta know the rules. No play on. You, no, 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 no. Move the ball. You gotta move the ball. You gotta move the ball. You can get at least three from Nigel Owens. I'm okay. just saying. Okay, okay, right. I, I, but you made some good points, so I didn't want to disrupt your rhythm. But let's <laughs> let's go back and rewind a little bit, okay? So you had spoken about you know a young player, high school level, looking up to a player who's now in the under 23s and that's okay an aspiration. I too want to be able to be exposed to that. I too want to be able to use this as a pathway. And that's the next point is that you're you're identifying a pathway uh, from wherever it may be at high school level to college onto the MLR. The MLR draft itself had had more so defined this pathway, but there is so much more we can still do with the help of starting earlier with the academies. So the academies is an absolute crucial point. We had spoken about this on our show quite a few weeks back is, you know, what do we believe? Is it about the academies? At that time, we had thought that rugby in America was not quite there, which is why the collegiate draft system made sense. Yet you can see examples of it beginning to emerge with the 404, with Houston, um, with NOLA, you know, the list can go on. And there is actually a rumor, and again, this is only a rumor, that they will begin to fund some of these programs through MLR money. And if that's the case, well, you overcome one of the greatest obstacles. Uh, and yes, you have the, the path laid out for you to develop these player pools that you can use to feed your program where one generation helps the next as a rugby player. And si- since I'm already carded, I'm just going to say something real quick. He's going because for the red, Americans, He's going for the red. Because, because Americans are used to always jumping programs in other sports, it's it's possible for you to be in a youth academy, then go play in college, and then go play in an under twenty three again, you know, somewhere else. So I'm I'm saying, you know, the coach can identify you. You know, Rooney can let's say identify you as a twelve year old to play in their thirteen and on you you thirteen U academy, 
You can go play your high school career. You can go play your college career across the country, and they might be calling you for that MLR draft because they already identified you and have been following you when you were a kid. Right. Fair points. So we need to be able to hand the floor over to somebody else because right now this is just the Scott and Ty show. Um, <laughs> so let's hand it over to Doug. Actually, you know what? Rob's been the most patient and also vocal at the same time. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense, but the floor is yours nevertheless. So uh, it's interesting. You know, again, uh, I'm going to pick up a little bit where Scott left off in the sense that he's talking about a pathway. And I think one of the things I'd like to see improve is part of that pathway, but I'm going to go to the next level, and that is the draft process. I would have really, and especially as a fan, I want to see that pathway cleaned up a bit. What am I talking about? Well, I think there is a clear indication based what we saw that some of the major um, uh, you know, top draft picks uh, that we thought would go early uh, didn't actually get drafted at all. Uh, and um, uh, Matt Gordon was, uh, was, was drafted, but, but what about Cameron Dodson? And so there's got to be, they've got to create a clear pathway for those guys that came as youth, as you, you know, 18, 19 year olds coming to the United States to play in college and, and, you know, clear that pathway a bit easier. So they don't take a, they, the teams don't have to take a foreign player spot when they draft those, those players. Right. Um, they need to clarify uh, the eligibility rules and, and who is eligible for the draft. Um, and, and as particularly for fans, so we know who we can expect our teams to possibly look at. And they also need to clarify, uh, the rules for maintaining college eligibility. As Scott talks about the, the academy programs, they have to make sure that, that the college players know exactly what the rules are so that they don't void any potential college eligibility. Imagine if you have a freshman or sophomore stud who's playing on a team competing for a D1A championship and all of a sudden, because of something they did when they were playing in an academy or had an association with academy, it disqualifies them for participating. That would be an absolute train wreck and a shame. Right. Also- Recently, we, we had, you had an interview with Wesley White, who was a, yeah. a victim of the 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 I don't know how to call it a misunderstanding or the um, lack of knowledge about eligibility as a whole for, for playing in the U S for the United, for USA rugby. Yeah. And, and two uh, quick other ones. I'd like to see uh, ESPN plus announce the broadcast earlier before right. the start of the season. I mean, they're paying, I mean, they're paying for that, that right for ESPN to broadcast. So, uh, you know, ESPN plus should be responsive and then corporate sponsorships. Bill Webb talked about it. Last week when he was on with us live, corporate sponsorships are important to bring in. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> You're done? Okay. We didn't mean to interrupt you like there, but uh, I saw uh, Scott making his motion there, so I thought I would just throw it in there as well. But, yeah, great points, though. I mean, let's, let's, let's refocus it. So, obviously, the MLR draft happened um, without much guidance. Right. And so definitely that could be second time around, be better, third time around, be even better. So we would hope there's a little bit more clarity for the players, uh, for the coaches that are working with them to be able to offer guidance to their players. I mean, I would love to be able to see them connecting with some of the top colleges and to be able to identify players throughout the season. Not necessarily they can begin conversations, but they would at least want to be able to get game tape. They want to be able to have conversations with the coaches. You know, this is a crucial aspect that 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 needs to be brought into that. So use the network that you all have existing and leverage that to give you a better opportunity to, uh, to host these uh, MLR drafts. Yes, and we right. want, we want Toronto as a team to participate. I mean, they, right. need, you know, 
So I think that's important for a for them to be able to find a way that's comfortable for them to be involved in the draft too. And absolutely, you know, we had the ability to be able to talk recently with Bill Webb, and he had identified that you know for them they got their own systems of the academies, they've got a great men's program that they draw from. But could they benefit in the future? Absolutely. Just because it wasn't on this occasion doesn't mean it can't be in the next. So yeah, great point. Like find a way to include. Uh, your Canadian franchise and make a way possible for them. Absolutely. Great point there again. So let's give uh, Doug the floor now and you can take 10 minutes if you like. <laughs> <laughs> no, just to go along with the draft thing is it does the draft have to be a college thing. I'm, I'm looking at um, hockey um, basketball. Like there's people that are drafted in those drafts that aren't necessarily in the college program. And uh, because you know, obviously the arrows want to draft Canadians, um, and and I guess they got to work visa thing with with uh, with the universities and, and stuff like that. But maybe there's kids that aren't in university that are are great kids that are college that that, right. that want to draft. And I know there was a lot of rules around entering the draft, and I, I didn't pay attention too much because we weren't involved. But but there were, I, there was rules about entering the draft. Uh, how many years of college you actually had to have in order to, to, to enter. We had to read it several times to understand it ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> that, and that's the problem. And I mean, we're, we're harping on the MLR. It's, it's a young league. And I mean, and maybe I'm being even easier on them because the arrows have only been, been in for 1.3 years or whatever, but you know, it's, it's a young league and I see a lot of these things we talk, we're talking about. I, I have no, I have, and, and as you saw with Bill, like I have all the faith in the world in people like Bill, that they're right. going yeah. to do the things that they need to, to improve this league. And, and they're aware of all these things we talk about that, that not growing too, too fast and, and all of that stuff. So slow and steady wins the race when it comes to the yeah. growth of the sport in the U S yeah. And I'm just afraid of putting too much pressure on the MLR teams. It's like, they're, they're just getting their teams ready and, and they're doing, and they're trying to figure out stadiums and, and no, but you need to go grassroots. You need to start set up things in, in the, your local clubs and, and right. are putting too much pressure on them right now. Those are things I could see definitely in the future. I expect that. But right now. So you would say that it's probably better to be able to focus on a few small group of priorities and have a greater chance of achieving them rather than spreading yourself in 17 different directions. Yeah. Focus, focus on the league, focus on your product, make that great and let people like us, build things from the ground up right we were talking about this before our show and i know that uh, that rob and scott echo this very same sentiment is that the rugby growth strategy should be from the bottom and the top and it should meet in the middle yeah and uh that i think is 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 great and when we talk about the draft not that we're trying to harp on that and say anything against it or for it it's just an important point about developing rugby in the nation using these existing means now but was the draft sorry to cut you off but to me the draft felt like covid happened oh crap we need something to do let's have a draft Let's do it. <laughs> I think. See, it was more like. Uh, I think. I think the draft seed was there. They were going to do the yeah. draft, and then right. COVID happened, and they went, "Oh shit! How are we going to get the game tape?" We. They. I'm sure they had something that to kind of have a combine or at least something. And but, you know, all their events leading up to it stopped. You know, so. I, and, and here's the thing: the the thing about the draft, a bunch of stuff going on, and, and the thing about what Doug was asking about. So, 
when you if you thought you were draft eligible, you would submit, right? And then the MLR will come back to you and say you are draft eligible, or you can just be a free agent. So, I mean, the MLR was telling the guys who maybe either were out too long or they their program wasn't considered, you know, collegiate program or whatever their circumstance was, yes, you're in. No, you're out and you can be a free agent. But some of that wasn't timely. Some of it was you the, the, the first couple guys put in and didn't hear until the week before the draft whether they were eligible or not. The, the second thing, um, as far as make getting Canada in there, MLR should have their own advocate advocating at the at at um, at the State Department saying we should get the same rights just like the NHL does because you know NHL is bringing players from all over the world MLS is bringing players from all the world they seem to not have those problems so I think one of the things MLR should focus on as a league which will help every team is to advocate for themselves with the United States government to ease this process so that and just and start with it to say hey. We, we're having trouble just getting Canadians to come across the border, and we are a North American league. That shouldn't be happening. Did the MLS, because the MLS is relatively new compared to the other leagues, like I'm, I, and I, I'm not much of a soccer fan, but did they have those issues with visas and everything to start? Like, you know, hopefully, hopefully this is, these, these are things that as the, as the league grows, uh, you know, it was kind of embarrassing in the last couple of years with some of the visa issues they had, but um, I'm sure hopefully those will get worked out. And like you said, hopefully the, the league is is figuring out, oh, we need somebody on this to solve this issue. And let's And I think that goes back to what you were saying before. That's one of the issues that should be a league issue and not a team. Right now it's a team by team issue. And whoever has the best lawyers currently are getting the benefit of it. It should be run through Killebrew himself. He should be the spokesperson out there going to our politicians and saying we need this fixed at least for this the cross border into Canada it's a little ridiculous right yeah so what you're saying is is that this shouldn't be put on the onus of the individual teams to be able to justify why their player is is being recruited um you know one great example we've spoken about in the past and it keeps popping up because it is relevant to the topic Drew Mitchell an Australian wallaby with world cup experience top class had and I think I think I'm sure you told me the story, Scott, and um, that he actually had to show them videotape, and during his visa process, like, go, like, really? I mean, he like he brought it up on the phone me. and was like, "That's me playing in the World Cup," you know? Right. So yeah, there's a certain degree of ignorance um, for the sport in the U.S. that certainly holds them back. Uh, and in this case, it it hurts not only the international who wants to come and play, but it hurts a lot closer to home when you have a Canadian who's fall into the same category who's competitive at in his own uh, country but can't do it in the rest of the league so it definitely restricts their options too and right now so for those kids their only option is the arrows and there's not that many spots on the arrows so and that's I mean, part of the reason why i i'm hopeful that we get more canadian teams but the, the wolf pack's an option too though right yeah, uh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, gentlemen, I think if we had to boil it down to what can the MLR do to be able to help the sport grow, to develop players, uh, steps are being made in the right direction. It does take time. Perhaps, as Doug had so rightly mentioned, we as fans are perhaps impatient. Perhaps they are being pulled in 17 different directions. Perhaps there are projects we're not even aware of that are already underway. And uh, we hope to be able to see that. 
But as it stands, there's a unique opportunity with the break in play now until next year to reveal what their plan mm -hmm. is. And I think that fans will become more confident. And also, if they were asked to be able to lend a helping hand, would be more than happy to do so. I think it would grow grow rugby in LA if if we'd actually hear something about what's happening in LA. <laughs> right, you know, between between you, I, and all the fans, we are very eager. What we hear is rumors. Uh, what we know is even less. <laughs> so, yeah. So let's move on to the next topic to be able to discuss, which is at the top. We had spoken about growing rugby from the bottom. We had spoken about it. Its influence at the top. So let's take a moment, gentlemen, to be able to talk about rugby at the 15s game, men's, USA, and Canada. What can they do to improve their results? I'm actually going to give the opening statements here, the opening rant to Doug. Doug, take the floor. Let us know what you think. I, in the last 10 or 15 years, the rest of the world has passed us by. And, and I think, and, and specifically Canada, um, but still, still the States as well. Um, I, and I feel my personal opinion is it's because of the lack of professionalism in North America. So to improve the game, we need a, a professional league. Oh, we have the MLR now. So I am super hopeful that, and it might not be in the next year or two, which, but I think it will be, it, it will help. But in the next five or 10 years, I just think that we're going to see a growth. We're going to see better athletes playing our sport that are going to go on and, uh, you know, go look to get drafted every year to the MLR and sit, sit in their living room and, and hope for that. And I think that's only going to increase the level. And then bringing, bringing these international players in, some of these international coaches, more people are coming into the country uh, from rugby-centric uh, countries, and it's just going to help uh, make us better. We're going to have better coaching not to say our coaching was bad at all, but, you know, having these other ideas and having more people is, is always better. And uh, it's just going to increase the level. Um, and hopefully we, we will see our, our national team start to uh, reap those rewards. Right. So you have to start with a great rugby IQ that you can share. And that's, as you say, bringing that experience, bringing that knowledge, you know, build it, reinforce it. Absolutely. I completely understand that. And to be able to reference, as you said, how the world has passed Canada by, you know, what is the current, remind us again, the current ranking of the, uh, of Canada? 23. Um, and there's some, some and Japan is the prime example. They are the darlings of the rugby world right now. We, in 2002, which really isn't that far uh, away, we beat them 62 to 18 in a, in a match. And uh, it was kind of like the, the ARC, I forget what the competition was called. But, and, and, and Namibia, who we were supposed to play in the World Cup back around the same time, we beat them 72 to 11. Was that going to happen in this World Cup? No, we, we, it was going to be a tough fight game for us to beat them. So, um, and, and then countries like Portugal, countries like Spain in that top, they're still above the States, but they're, I mean, higher right in the right that mix there. Yeah. So let me propose the question to you as the only Canadian representative on the show ever. Um, <laughs> let me ask you, is that a question of the rest of the world becoming better and Canada not improving? Or do you believe that Canada has gotten worse and has fallen as a result? Uh, I, I, I think we have got a little bit worse. I think there's, 
there's some reasons for that. Like, I mean, our, our geography, the same in the States, it does not lend to a national team program. I mean, it cost me $800 round trip to fly out to Vancouver where our national team is housed. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a lot of money for somebody to go out there and, and they're leaving home. Whereas uh, in, in the UK or someone in England takes a, a 45 minute train ride into London, like, um, or so far more accessible. There's, yeah. there's, a, there's a whole bunch of factors, but I feel that because what has changed over the la- those last 10 or 15 years, professionalism has increased in a lot of those countries and we have not had professionalism here. Right. So to me, that is, that's the factor that we've been missing out on. Right. And hopefully that will change with the MLR providing a pathway. I mean, really, it wasn't really defined as such by Bill Webb in his interview, but you can see how many players would want to be a part of the Arrows because it can put you on the stage to be noticed to play at the highest level for Canada. So, yeah, it can be seen as a pipeline in many ways. Although it's not designed as such, it's easy to see it as such. So, yeah, some great points over there from... uh, from Doug, let's hand it over to Rob. Rob, what are your thoughts? So I've got a couple things, and I'm going to quick fire them here so I don't go over my two minutes like uh, some of my colleagues. Uh, number one, retain <laughs> retain Coach Gold through 2023. Allow him to do his job. Allow him to go through the World, Rugby World Cup cycle. Uh, keep this in mind. New Zealand has had five coaches in as many years as the United States has had nine. The longest tenured coach was Mike Tolkien at five years. Okay, we've got to develop some continuity and allow this team to gel. Uh, Number two, you've got to use the MLR to develop talent. And what I'm talking about here is what other like New Zealand does. They have a they have 60 guys come into their camp and they start to whittle it down and they identify young players that they know can develop and become a a, a guy that can make a World Cup roster. Um, Bring those guys in, give all these uh, MLR players who are now professionals an opportunity to compete on a level playing field and even take some spots. Let talent be a guide. Corporate sponsorship's going to drive this all. They really got to do some things to improve corporate sponsorship. Put money into the women's game, right? Look what has happened for you for soccer in the United States since our women have been perennial powerhouses. The United States was one time a top one or two team in the nation. We're number seven now in the women's game. We knew to improve that. Finally, no more flow. <laughs> we don't have a big enough viewer base for us to be selective about who we don't want to allow or have the ability to watch USA rugby matches at both the men's and women's level. I don't want to pay 20 bucks a month to watch USA rugby on a crap flow broadcast, right? And I'm a rugby fan. Now, how are we going to attract new fans? If right. they're not even going to be interested. If it doesn't even look like a polished product, how can no. you sell it as one? Right. Yeah. So I completely agree with you. I mean, you you, you gave some great bullet points there. Um, the USA is not in the position right now financially to be able to support a, a camp of 60 players. They're not even potentially in the position to be able to support the 15 they put on the field. But nevertheless, sponsorship would be a massive cash injection. Yes, they are restructuring. They made some great moves to be able to do so, but there's not yet enough. And that's because it hasn't reached enough TVs 
as you so already pointed out, broadcast level is not great. The product they're putting out doesn't look great. And the women's game is excluded. So, yes, that could reach an, a great audience and it could be a platform to be able to build even further support. And one success leads to another. Great points, Rob. So let's hand it over to the big guy for the final wrap-up. Let's see what you got. You got ahead of you. Uh, let's see what you can pull back, if you can pull back uh, right now. I think uh, just to let you know, you got to come up with some good points here because both of you, all of you are actually kind of equal. Well, I think Doug hit hit the nail on the head with professionalism because think about it. Think about a guy like Nick Savetta. He goes, he plays French Division Two, right? Then he comes back and he plays for the U.S. Eagles. So he's telling all the Eagles how it works in France. Well, now you have Chris Robshaw coming over to San Diego Legion and saying, this is how we do it over at Harlequins that makes it a successful team, which obviously if, if, if the premiership is a, is a higher league than uh, the MLR. So I think you, you never had that when you had all of our top guys leaving to go play in the higher divisions. But I think something, a point Rob also made, made was continuity and you see it in the rugby world cup um, in 2019 I felt like when uh, America fielded the team at the ARCs, they had too many guys that they were looking to try out that might not even get any minutes in the Rugby World Cup. And I don't uh, that the I don't know where that's those selections were coming from, but there was guys in the ARCs that were getting minutes that obviously weren't going to make the team for the Rugby World Cup. But we didn't have any unison. We didn't have any of that synergy going from the ARCs into the World Cup, and we saw it. We, we crapped the bed in the ARCs, and then look at what happened in the Rugby World Cup. We're supposed to be the sleeping giant, and there was no continuity and synergy between those two tournaments. Now, that's not to say guys aren't supposed to get a look, but look at what was happening. We had this, this wave, right? As fans, we saw it, right? We had this wave. American Canada were starting to ride this wave of, of getting into the ARCs and try and do something. We're going to, USA is going to come in and, and sweep the ARCs, right? And then they were going to go into Rugby World Cup and make some noise. Now, they m- might not have won the pool, but you win a couple matches in the pool, take a draw from a big team like England, and all of a sudden you make some noise in the rugby world. But I felt like, and maybe it was just the start of the decapitation of USA Rugby at the time, that from the top down, something there was a failure somewhere. And it didn't rest on the players because the players don't select who who's on the field, you know? So it had to have been from USA rugby itself. And it might not have even been coach gold. It could have been some, somebody above him. So I think Rob hits it on the head on continuity. We have to have somebody from the top down. That's going to say, we are a p- professional team. We're a prof- even though we're a world team, we have to act like we've been there. We have to act like the other teams act like, because if you don't do that, you have then the cracks in the armor. Right. It's time to be able to raise the game, right? Now, USA Rugby, in uh, in the aftermath of filing for Chapter 11, their bankruptcy, has made some concerted effort to be able to restructure, developing different panels and boards that have particular areas of focus. You know, it remains to be seen whether this is the right approach, but at least they are approaching it and addressing those issues, which is so clearly evident when you look at the 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 failures of the last world cup rugby campaigns you so rightly pointed out and you spoke about you know being on the world stage other countries that have risen to the occasion uruguay being one of our great you know uh, rivals locally in the arc rose to the occasion to be able to succumb fiji now fiji you could argue themselves that underperformed in, the, in there on the back of having a you know tough match against uh, australia and you can pick apart all of the matches in the same way. Um, but there are a lot of countries that have come a long way in a very short time. So 
what makes them different? Is it money? Is it the fact that, you know, they had the allure of, of, of big contracts with players coming over or getting experience overseas and bringing that back? Did they form partnerships with other unions across the globe to share knowledge? What are some of the things that the USA and Canada can do to make those same steps moving forward? Well, instead of all of our players being New Zealand, Japan, everywhere, and you're trying to bring these guys back and you're trying to train and have team cohesiveness, I think now with the MLR, it's keeping more of these players at, at home. And, I, and hopefully that will turn into them being able to more easily bring those, those guys together. So. Right. To that point, you know, Argentina had done this in Super Rugby with the Jaguars, right? So you could argue that uh, the Sunwolves were very much the same. In fact, they had actually put out what they thought was a very international looking team to be able to build their Japan team. But it was actually a lot of strategy behind it. So perhaps besides the point there, Toronto is doing the same thing in their own manner, that if they can hold on to their local talent and grow them as a cohesive unit together and form that continuity that Rob had alluded to with the USA rugby needing it, they would on the next occasion, after maybe a season or two playing together as they are now in the current form, will make that, that world stage appearance and have that better results. You no, know, I don't sense. go ahead, Rob, because I've been talking too much. No, no, no. Um, I was going to say one other thing as it just came to my head is the MLR could be a great pathway to develop quality coaching right from within. And then let's say we get to in five years, 16 teams and you've got eight quality coaches that are American based. They might not be American born, but they're American based to live in. Nate, and Nate Osborne comes to mind, you know, he right. lives in Minnesota. He's married to an American. Um, and now all of a sudden you have eight quality coaches that are vying for, that coveted uh, spot to be the head coach of the United States Eagles. Um, and, and Canada can do the same thing through the Toronto arrows and possibly the development of another, another franchise up there. And, and now all of a sudden uh, you've got coaching development. That's really um, leading the way uh, rather than bringing in coaches we're developing coaches. Right. So again, not only do you need to be able to grow players but you need to grow the, the 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 coaches their staff everybody administration i mean rugby in both of these countries is considered young at least in the professional age you know it's got deep roots and it's been played for a long time they just haven't had enough structure to to consistently provide a professional platform for the game until recently when the MLR being the most successful rugby product to date has done so. So yes, many fruits are still to be born and uh, we yet to be able to see what it might be, but these it's conceivable coaching and players. This is the way that they will get to the top. Well, I think it goes back to what Doug was saying about scouting, you know, when he was talking about coaches scouting for football versus rugby, the MLR coaches should be scouting for Team USA. It's in their best interest to to tell Team USA, I have a kid. Hey, USA Rugby, we got this kid. You know, uh, Simu Smith comes to mind. He's he was a quick back out of out of uh, New Haven. He played one season with Rooney. He actually uh, enlisted, and he's he's uh, arm, um, he's in the Army in the Airborne. Uh, he went a different path, but you know, guys like Greg McWilliams, guys like Nate Osborne, should be. In in it's in their best interest to scout and look use the be the eyes that USA Rugby can't have right now, and help them develop the younger generation. That's obviously and and there's 
USA Rugby doesn't have the money to do that themselves. So the MLR should be jumping in and saying, hey, we're going to help you out a little bit with this. And just like I said, throwing throwing an email saying, hey, we I saw two or three kids that you should really give a call and give a look at. I mean, it's just worth it. I guess I wonder what the relationship is between USA Rugby and the MLR itself. I mean, one being a nonprofit and one being a business, right? We don't know the answer to that, but I would have to imagine that they there's such an incredible overlap that there must be a partnership in the future. And I mean, there is because Greg McWilliams is the attack coach for, for, for the men's team. But I think you have to, because everybody's in a different area, you have to buy in. And I think coach, I, if you, if coach, if USA rugby went to coach Osborne and said, Hey, you know, be on the lookout in your area for some kids, you got mopping at Tulane, you got so-and-so here, take a look and just give us a name or two. You know, you're right. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, Osborne coached in the USA structure. I, I think, right. you know, USA structure is a little different from Canada. If you talk, you listen to Bill Webb and from what Doug talks about with the arrows, there's a, there is a very amicable relationship there. They're looking out for one another. They see one's aims and goals as one of the same to develop Canadian rugby. I think there are too many egos in the USA setup. Right. Too many cooks in the kitchen, right? So it's difficult to be able to keep everybody happy. And then you know, it's so segregated from union to union and then city to city having their own agendas that it's 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 a rugby nation that's divided. So perhaps, as you say, more networking between them would at least be able to start binding it together. Where do you start? Hopefully, USA Rugby has started that path to being able to repair their reputation, their structure and their administration and then how they connect with rugby unions uh, at all different levels and then of course up to professional rugby is yet to be seen but they have a lot of work to be able to do a lot of obstacles that stand ahead of them unfortunately there's a reputation lost that they have to be able to focus on regaining gentlemen i think that now we understand that usa rugby and canadian rugby is not where it should be we hope to be able to see it there let's say i would say probably Seven to 10 years would be a fair estimate to at least compete on the world stage. Uh, I echo the very same thoughts that Bill Webb had had there is that, you know, we need to just think of the long game and work toward the step-by-step. Gentlemen, would you agree? Yep. Now, we need to be able to discuss who is the winner of this round on the rant. So, we have uh, three competitors. We have two that received uh, yellow cards for uh, going past their time. And uh, we do also respect the fact that we have one Canadian on the show for the first time. So we give you uh, an opportunity to uh, get a few pity points there, a bonus point for losing within seven points. Um, <laughs> but uh, we're going to hand it, I think I'm going to hand it over to Rob on this occasion. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, opening, the opening rant was strong, good bullet points, concise, to the point, and I think that's what won it, and everybody else is playing catch-up after listen, that. Listen, uh, all I got to say is, at least we beat Canada. As Blaine Scully, my buddy, always right. said, hashtag ABC, always beat Canada. Well, I, I love the healthy rivalry that there is, you know, and, uh, you know, Doug, you it's have been because you are beating Canada a lot, but uh, <laughs> right. hopefully that changes soon. If it's a fact, <laughs> but here's the thing, man, we want to be able to thank you for joining us on the show. 
you know, you obviously have a clear passion for what you do. You have a great passion for the Toronto Arrows as well, being your ambassador for Canadian rugby in the league. Uh, and you have so many great ambassadors of the sport there. It's just a shame that we don't get to see as much of them in, in the league as possible. But hopefully that will change, right? Hopefully there'll be more ca- Canadian players playing in teams in the U.S. and coming through those pathways that are being designed for them. But time will tell. For the moment, we do what we do as fans is to be able to spread the game we love by creating one new fan at a time. And that's our mantra on the show. And we know that you echo those very same themes. And I'm sure I speak on behalf of Scott and also Rob when we say thank you for joining us here. And we hope to be able to have you back in the future. Doug, do you have any final thoughts that you wanted to share with the people out there? No, yeah. I want to thank you for having this lowly Canadian on here who probably doesn't deserve to be on here but uh mm-hmm. but yeah no you guys are doing a great job and and i think it's it's guys like you that are going to help grow this league immensely and uh the work that you do with the mlr fan zone is uh is awesome and uh you know i just can't wait to see this thing grow and grow and grow and and hopefully see my kid suit up for the arrows one day excellent well that's it you know grassroots rugby it starts right there and you got the next generation gentlemen uh, again, we've uh, ranted, we've made our points. We're going to be able to leave it to our fans of the MLR Rant podcast show to let us know what you think about these topics. Do you agree with Rob? Do you disagree with Scott? Do you think he actually should have won this uh, this round? Let us know by dropping a comment below. And of course, you can. <laughs> Rob disagrees naturally. But let us know what you think about these points. Perhaps you have a great idea that you'd like to be able to contribute to the conversation. You can do so by also following us on our usual social media platforms under the handle at the MLR Rant. You can see us on Twitter, Instagram, and of course, Facebook. Follow us on our page. And of course, Hit that bell icon here on uh, YouTube as well. Wherever you're watching it, subscribe and you'll be involved in more episodes whenever they drop. From myself, Ty Braga, your host, alongside Scott Ferrara, Rob Hammerschmidt, and Doug Wilkie, thank you for watching this episode of the MLR Rant Podcast Show. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.